Hey everyone, Nick here. For this episode, we're taking a quick break from our series on word order in Hebrew and Greek. But we'll pick back up with the series next week with an episode on the debate between VSO and SVO word order in Biblical Hebrew. Until then, we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Biblical Languages Podcast, brought to you by Biblingo. I'm Nick Mesmer, and I'm your host for this episode. Today, I'm talking to Teresa Kovac about her journey learning the biblical languages. Welcome to the show, Teresa. Hi, thanks. Glad to be here. So, Teresa will introduce herself more fully in just a bit, but first I wanted to mention a few things. This is a special episode because it's the first of many where we chat with members of the Biblingo community about their language learning journey to get some practical tips and encouragement. Teresa has been part of the Biblingo community for a long time now, both as an app user and as a student in our live courses. I've had the chance to glimpse into her journey a few times, and I think our listeners will be very encouraged and motivated by it. So, Teresa, just to start off, um, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a grandma. I watch a four-year-old. Well, she's four now. She just turned four. She was three. She's probably two when I started this. And uh, she's most of my time. Uh, and I'm a retired engineer. So I worked for AT&T for a lot of years. Had nothing to do with languages, but had a lot to do with speech recognition. So I want to make that clear. I'm a complete amateur about languages. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I love that part of your story as well, um, and part of the reason I wanted to highlight it. I think uh, people listening, a lot of them are also don't have that kind of background. Um, so with that, I'd love to know, why did you start learning the biblical languages? What is kind of your motivation for that? Well, it kind of started slow. It uh, My husband had a dream of going to Israel, and we finally, we actually planned a trip to Israel. It got canceled on us, and we ended up waiting two years before we got to go again. And in that time, we found out that when a lot of people go to Israel, they never, like, get to speak with the people in their native language. You're on this bus. Everything's in English. Everybody talks English to you. And that didn't seem like visiting a foreign country to me. That's just not how I like to do it. I mean, I like to travel. I like to learn a little bit about the people. And so I started learning modern Hebrew a little bit, just enough. You know, you don't have to know very much. Most of it's body language, but you have to learn a little bit, a little bit of Hebrew and a little bit of Arabic just to support how we wanted to go over and make that trip. And then we did go over and make that trip. And that was very inspirational. We had a lot of fun. Um, the hardest time was, you know, I my phone would run out of juice uh, halfway through the day and we'd be riding around on these public buses and have to figure out where to transfer. And sometimes the bus signs and announcements wouldn't be in English. They'd be in Hebrew and Arabic. And so I actually had to to pay attention to what I learned. So, you know, that's kind of the level at which I was at. It wasn't fluent or anything like that. I was just getting along as a traveler. And, uh, but I came back really inspired to, to learn more. And then COVID hit. When we came back, COVID was just descending. And so now I was stuck at home with, with, uh, wanting to keep busy, really, and keep my mind busy, uh, something beyond toddler games. And so I started, uh, I started taking a seminary class. I happened to start with an English class, Preaching and Preachers, uh, that Dr. Muller taught because I had, I had put together uh, a list, what I had done in the past, this has nothing to do with languages, but it's what I had done, uh, was 
I wanted to have a sermon on every chapter, every bit of the Bible, because uh, I was learning that every bit of scripture is important and relevant and useful for teaching and rebuke and correction and all the rest. And so uh, I took that class. And while I was taking that class, they made me like apply to the seminary and I got in and I saw they had this class on Jeremiah and I really wanted to take it, but you had to know Hebrew first. <laughs> and that's how I got started. I said, well, I want to take that class in Jeremiah. Gee, I'd really like to place out of that first Hebrew class. I know a little modern Hebrew. How hard can it be? And that's, and you know, I had been learning modern Hebrew with Rosetta Stone. And so Biblingo, you know, I looked at the books and how they teach it in seminary. And I said, oh, wow, that looks hard. So I saw Biblingo and that looked a little bit more like Rosetta Stone, uh, just enough like that it felt like it might be a softer landing. And that's really how I got started with Biblingo. And of course, I had this crazy schedule. I think when I met you guys the first time, I had this crazy schedule. I was trying to take a placement exam and time to take this exegesis class and time to take the next time they offered Jeremiah. And so uh, I ended up doing the first part with Hebrew uh, and with with your live uh, feature very quickly and very in a very concentrated way. But it was a really good start. So I did place out. I did place out. I have taken the Jeremiah class and Ezekiel now. So and I've gone on to Greek. So. Yeah, no, that's that's an amazing part of your story, and I want to talk a little bit more about that in a minute as well. Um, you said you said a, a couple things that I, I think are really interesting. One, just your trip to Israel, um, I think is significant because um, something that I think a, a lot of people don't think about is the connection between language and culture. And when you go to Israel, um, well, one, I mean, you're you're engaging with the, the modern, you know, Israeli culture, and and modern Hebrew can help you to do that more thoroughly. But uh, of course, a lot of People go to Israel to also learn about biblical, ancient biblical culture. Um, and again, the two are just so intertwined that when you have um, even just a little bit of, of understanding of the languages um, as well, um, they can help you to understand the culture better. But also the flip side, as you learn the ancient culture um, that's that's present there in Israel, it can really enrich your study of the languages as well. I know I've only I've had a chance to visit Israel just once um, and it was um, you know, after I had a lot of Greek and Hebrew um, background and I felt like it just reinvigorated my desire to, to dive into the languages even more because I got that interaction with the, the culture. The other thing is that I, I have found that a lot of people who have experience learning a modern language, um, especially before they start learning the biblical languages, do have that experience of like, uh, why is it so different learning the biblical languages versus how I tried to learn, you know, the modern languages, even though, you know, like you said, you didn't get that fluent in modern Hebrew, but there's something different about uh, the way that you use the uh, the language and kind of immerse yourself in it when you're learning a modern language that a lot of people don't get that experience with the biblical languages. But yeah, like I said, uh, a lot of people who I talk to that have that background with learning a second modern language really resonate with, with, um, an approach to the biblical languages that is more similar to that. So I think that's another important piece of your story. Um, so yeah, now uh, diving into a little bit um, of, of your, your journey and like you mentioned, kind of the early stages. Um, one of your first tasks that you had ahead of you was trying to place out of Hebrew, uh, Hebrew 1, in a, in a, in a seminary program. Um, uh, and 
you didn't have really any biblical Hebrew. So this is a, a big task that you had ahead of you. So I had no um, idea how big it was when I started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big task. And what was your um, your timeline that you were working with? Oh, golly, what was it? I think I had maybe 10 weeks, something like that. It yeah, was, so maybe less, I only had less, eight. By the time I talked to you, I probably only had seven or eight. Yeah, By the I time so. I really got started on live, I, it was probably mm-hmm. six. I mean, it was yeah. short. It was really short, and it was like Christmas was coming, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's amazing that you, you took up the challenge. Um, and I think it's an important thing to talk about because, one, it just shows how achievable it is to really learn these languages in, in an effective and efficient way. But also, just practically, I think a lot of people could benefit from trying to to place out of, of uh, um, well, I think beginning so too. Hebrew Greek and, courses. And what I'll say, though, is my professor wasn't too fond of this idea, not 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 for political reasons. I mean, it wasn't that he had a problem with me trying to do it, but he said they have a lot of experience with students that place out of the first semester and then flunk the ses- second semester. Right. So he terrified me. That's yeah. when I called you guys. I mean, it was like, <laughs> oh, no, what have I done? Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, that's when I really got serious about studying, I guess. Yeah. But uh, that, but I do think, I mean, they must not have had Biblingo, all those other people that failed, because because when I got to the second semester, I found first thing I had learned was I had learned how to type. You just kind of have to do that if you're not going to use the word bank and you. Unfortunately, I'm really nervous about speaking, so I don't learn how to speak into and use that part of it for a long time. I kind of avoided that until you guys would tell us every time you put out one of those podcasts how important that was. So I would try it a little bit, that that's like the part of my brain that just doesn't want to, I have to fight against that to learn that part. It's really important to learn that part, but I have Mm -hmm. to fight myself to learn that part. So I learned to type instead. And your typing lessons, like if somebody's just starting with Biblingo, those typing, those they're not even called typing. They're called alphabet lessons, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can use them to really mm-hmm. get good at typing. And if you have that skill, that makes the rest of it flow. I mean, you're going to get faster at typing as you move through the, the lessons. But that skill, just knowing how to type in Hebrew and Greek, that puts me in a different place than 90% of those st- seminary students Mm -hmm. because you have when you type a word you have to look at it so much more closely than if you're just looking at a word and you're going to remember it longer and then and then also just the visuals I mean it was fun for me in Biblingo just because I had just come from the Middle East and it's like that's like looking at vacation pictures I mean it's like it's like you know (laughs) you're getting the culture you're getting reminded of it you're you're it was fun I mean they're just beautiful pictures and you can enjoy them, and they'll be much more memorable than having a list of words on a page in a book. I mean, that's just uh, much harder in my mind. Yeah, yeah, than what yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And um, <clears throat> just to bring in some of the the pedagogy stuff, um, what you're talking about uh, is what they refer to in sec- in the field of second language acquisition as deep processing. So um, the typing the language and the pictures are both ways that you're you're processing the language more deeply you're getting a deeper interaction with it um for various reasons but um yeah that the the more deeply you process the language the more quickly you're going to learn it and the longer you're going to retain it 
Um, and I just like to point that out because typing, it's like no one, it's, it's rare to do it because that's not our ultimate goal. We're not looking to type long Hebrew, Greek, Hebrew or Greek, you know, stories or whatever, like that we produce ourselves. Our goal is to read. Um, but the research shows that by typing it or just producing the language in any way, including typing, um, you're processing the language more deeply and that's going to help you read better in, in the long run. So I'm glad that that, that aspect of Biblingo resonated with you a lot. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about the details of what that, you know, six to eight week period looked like for you. How much time were you putting in? What resources? Because I know it wasn't exclusively Biblingo and and I, I'm happy to hear what else was helpful. So what did that that time of preparation look like for you? Well, I know that before I started Biblingo, I had been handwriting. I had all these pages. I think when I met you, I had all these pages that I was handwriting the Hebrew. And I could hardly read my own writing. I mean, the beauty of typing is after you do it, you can still read it. Whereas if you're not very good, you come back a week later and you're like, what did I mean there? Yeah. <laughs> so, But I was spending... Um, I would say a couple of hours a day. I mean, I don't know what the statistics will say. Um, probably I remember it as more than it really was. I'm just guessing. But uh, it, I mean, I worked on it hard. And I worked on it, you know, every nap time, every every bedtime, you know, when I stayed up later, I got up early in the morning and did it. I mean, I was working at it uh, mm-hmm. as if it was a real thing, a real class going on. Um and and I knew it was short compared to they would have taken 16 weeks at seminary to, to yeah. get through the material that they wanted you to get through. So I knew that I really didn't have that long. So I knew I needed to work hard. Um, but I was spending a lot of time on Biblingo. I was also on the side. I had the textbook they would have used in class because this guy had terrified me. Um, I knew that he was going to start at like, you know, chapter 16 or 17 of the same book. And I wanted to know what was in those first. I wanted to make sure I had learned what's in the 16 chapters. And I don't believe you had as many lesson plans in big lingo back then as you do now. I could yeah. be wrong about that, but I hadn't found no, that's them. True. If they were there, I hadn't found them. <laughs> um, no, we've so added a I lot. was using that textbook kind of to supplement the lesson plans, and it actually dovetailed pretty nice. Um, I mean, Big Blingo's not doing things in exactly the same order. They start out with the participles, uh, so you, you know, but you can you can adjust for that. It took me a little while to figure that out, but uh, it was. It was completely doable, and then then once you get in the middle of it, it's 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 very nice to have a textbook beside you to look things up on paper. Um, and I mean, the lesson plans are really great now that you do have in there, um, and could probably take most of that role on. But you kind of need something that tells you the rules on the side. I mean, I found that with Rosetta Stone too, that it was helpful to buy a simple grammar of some kind and go through that at the same time as Rosetta Stone. So I was doing that also. I had I had the workbook for the class and I worked through that entire workbook in those six weeks. And I know when back then I was doing the Biblingo Live, I think I was, I was the only student in the class and he let me ask him questions about that workbook as part mm-hmm. of that. And that was very yeah. helpful. So that was almost like a tutoring that I was yeah, getting yeah. at the same yeah. time. Yeah, and that's something yeah, we definitely do with our, our live you know, courses are just our instructors are always able to take people on for tutoring and things like that. Um, yeah, so, so you mentioned, just to clarify the lesson plans that you mentioned, um, 
So Biblingo, we have our lessons that are kind of the interactive practice and all of that. But then we do have what we call lesson guides that are more like a textbook kind of built into the program. So at the time you were doing it, we didn't have lesson guides that corresponded to every lesson. So you were left with kind of just the interactive interactive stuff and not the kind of written on paper, all of that. So that's just to clarify the the lesson guides is what you didn't have. Um, and yeah, especially when you're going to be tested on the rules and all of that kind of stuff, it is, it is helpful to have it all in one place like that. Then, so then you had the placement exam and like I kind of um, alluded to, um, it, it was an exam from the seminary. And so you were being tested on kind of traditional things. I imagine like parsing, translation, some vocab, identification, things like that. So you were being tested on, on things that Biblingo doesn't actually do directly, right? You don't ever really parse something in Biblingo or, or even translate. Um, so I'm curious how you would say Biblingo, though the nature of the exercises are, are quite different, um, helps you to do something like parse or translate something That's in a, a, in very a more traditional context. Question. I found that what I did know how to do was read Hebrew at a speed that was maybe much faster than I would have been able to if I hadn't done what I, I did with Biblingo. And it's just that ability to like look at a word and recognize it and know what it means, not necessarily to translate it, but just to know what it right. means. Right. That, that was going on at a speed that I didn't see in my peers when I got to class. So I'm suspecting that that's what it did for me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, and that's, that's my experience too, is, um, if, you know, parsing is, is kind of all about, it's kind of two parts. You have to know what the word means, you know? Um, but then you also have to have the labels that kind of connect to that. Right. If, if you get that first step down of just knowing what it means in a sense, I'm parsing without the categories or the labels, right? Like I know what's going on. And if you can do that quickly and naturally and intuitively, um, the labels kind of come much more easily after that. So again, just huge congratulations for passing a placement exam like that. Very impressive. And, and, uh, hopefully now others know that, that they can do, can do the same thing, um, with a lot of work, but it's, it's possible. So you mentioned that, um, your, your professor said that a lot of people will do that and then flunk second semester so um i'm fine. assuming that wasn't the case for no, you but I yeah fine. i was fine yeah i mean it was still hard work the second semester but it was uh it was almost easier <laughs> than what i had done to myself it was it was um i mean he was testing a lot of the same things over and over again and so it was uh it, with different verses and i mean there was more you were getting to focus on the exegesis because you already knew a lot of the Hebrew, I guess, you know, and it made you remember it and use it and may probably learn it at a deeper level, but it was, it was, yeah, turned out to be a lot of fun. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's move on here and we can consider this kind of uh, a rapid fire section where I'll just ask you some questions and maybe you just throw out the first thing, um, that, that comes to mind. Um, so, what has been the biggest challenge for you in learning the biblical languages overall? Probably, probably 
conversational anything. Um, being able to speak is probably the it, speaking it at the speed of of a actual interactive conversation is probably what I still think of is like in those Biblingo live courses when we try to have actual interactive question and answer. That's still very much the hardest thing. And that make that makes sense. That's kind of the the highest level of of language proficiency. Um, what has been the most helpful thing for you in learning the biblical languages? The ability to do it with pictures is is a big thing, um, and and the ability to listen to someone read. I mean, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to say any one thing is the most helpful. I think it's a big animal, and you have to hit it from all sides. Yeah. <laughs> it's the yeah. honest truth. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But I'll, here's what, one thing I'll say: that one thing that I really found to help be intuitive in the Biblingo is when the way those lessons are structured, they'll take a preposition and they'll go through all the different ways it's used. And they'll really take a lot of time on one. And that's something the textbook like wants to cram them all into one lesson. And you never really get the feel like you do in those Biblingo lessons. So getting that real feel for how the language is actually used, that's, that's a place where it was really helpful. Yeah. I think a a common denominator for those, all those pieces you mentioned maybe is just understanding how big these languages are and um, and making sure you're approaching it with that in mind. It's not something that you can just learn exhaustively um, with a textbook. Oh, yeah, it's you know, not mathematics. Or, or it's anything. not math. Yeah. You're never yeah. done. Yeah, And they're squishy. Great. These languages are squishy. <laughs> you yeah. poke over here and it's not consistent yeah. with over here and it just is. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you stay motivated in, in your language learning journey? Well, I think being terrified of a placement test is a really good motivator. <laughs> I think another really good motivator is having some question that you really don't know the answer to but would like to. Like, mm-hmm. why does this verse mean this? If I had uh, I had something like that in Greek for the, the second class, and, and so it was just every chapter I learned something more about it. So some, some question that you're after, um, some goal, any goal really, I guess setting a goal is a hard goal, some some hard goal, some big mountain to climb. That's all you need because if you want to climb it and you do a little bit every day, keep taking a step forward, eventually you get there. So Yeah, yeah. And there's always another goal. I mean, There's always another um, goal. I mean, I, I have plenty to learn about the languages, um, but something I, I'm focusing on right now as a goal is my reading speed. And, you know, that that can always get faster. So, so you can always have a goal there. So I have a specific words per minute, um, at a particular kind of difficulty level of Hebrew and Greek that I want to get to. And so, um, in theory every day I'm reading, um, texts that are at that difficulty level multiple times, timing myself and just trying to chip away and get my reading speed down. So there's all sorts of goals you can have, um, and very motivating. Yeah. Um, how has the journey been rewarding for you? It's something you can't even imagine if you've never tried to learn these biblical languages, that they were written in that original language, and there is so much lost in translation, no matter how hard these translators try. Well, for one thing, the translators, their translations are going to be out of date 
pretty much by the time they're published and have a study Bible with them just because language is a squishy thing and it moves on them. But uh, I was just, I have an example here from one of my textbooks, like the different kinds of rhetorical devices in the letter to Hebrew. Just let me go through this list for just a second. Repetition of letters, repetition for effect, use of words or phrases that contrast with each other to, to create a balanced effect. All these things are going to sounds in a language, right? You just totally, you know, Psalm 1, the beginning of that is a beautiful, poetic, you know, sound thing that just totally is absent once you translate it. So it's just, I mean, there's a long list of these. I read you the first three. There's like 12 of them. And they're all things that happen with sounds or the way words are ordered in the original language that just don't come across. And so there's a beauty there. It's really beautiful in the original language. And we miss that. I don't, I don't know how you would ever get that into a translation. It's hard to yeah. try. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think that's a big thing that's missing um, when people often talk about what are the benefits of learning Greek and Hebrew a lot. And, and this is definitely a thing. There's a lot of um, payoff in terms of like actual information and like understanding of the specific, the actual meaning of the text and things like that. But I think beauty, the beauty of the text, you know, I mean, in our na native languages, we read things for the enjoyment of it and the beauty of it and, and engaging with that thing um, at a level where you're seeing how the author crafted it in a specific way. Um, and to be able to do that, yeah, with the, the, the biblical text is, is really an amazing thing. Um, okay, uh, last question. Do you have any final words of encouragement for any biblical language learners out there that might be listening? Sure. It's a... Uh... Do it every day. I mean, it's it's a little bit every day. It's a it's a doesn't matter how slowly you're climbing the mountain. If you take one step up every day, you'll eventually get there. So yeah. it's, it's create a goal and take a step every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is great. Thank you for for sharing that. That's all we have time for on this episode of the Biblical Languages Podcast, brought to you by Biblingo. Thanks for listening. 